and welcome back to the Well Nurse Podcast. This is episode number 72. My name is Slater, and I'm here with Eric, Adam, and Caitlin. Hi, everyone. What's up? Hello. Happy International Women's Day, Caitlin. <laughs> is it day or month? It's month. It was, it was like three days ago, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah well, you... why, why did we not uh, worship Caitlin three days ago, Adam? Actually, it was two days ago. Well, whatever day. It Anyways, because I, I didn't have any pictures of her to post. He posted yeah. a video supporting all of us guys. The over three here. men on the podcast. Listen, I I didn't even listen. Think of this that, is right? just what it's like to live a life as a woman. Do you like a Caitlyn tribute video, like a montage? Ah, <laughs> like, oh, dude, I should. Tell, I'll just go to your. I'll go to your Facebook and take. I'm a bunch gonna of lurk on my social media. Do like yeah, a Caitlyn slide slideshow, and then at the end, like some awesome footage of like a letterback sea turtle. Eric, all right. Are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> so sad. All right, dude. Let's hop right into this host updates. What do we got, uh, Eric? You go first. Me. Uh, I've been seeing tons of northbound gray whales at work. Casper's like showing up, like. Days in a row. It's kind yeah, of yeah. You made it on the news about Casper, didn't you? Uh, I saw that. Uh, yes. Wow, Eric's a newsworthy gangster. But yeah, they talked about Casper and and a little bit about what we think is going on with his genetics. We don't know if it's albinism or if he's leucistic. That's about it. And then you know what? There were some humpbacks here, like twenty of them here a few days ago, and then they Oops. ninja van. Ninja vanished, yeah. so hopefully they come back. Yeah. Sounds like March in Monterey Bay. That happens yeah. every year. And then soon... Did you, did you see them, Eric, or no? I didn't. I was off that day, but I went on the next day to go find them, and they literally ninja vanish. And now I'm just waiting for little gray whales to get eaten, so we'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I uh, heard, that the humpbacks came back by Andy. He told me that they were back in the bay, and then that was yeah. all I heard. Yeah, they literally just disappeared overnight. It was like, oh, That happened... Every March. Yeah, I haven't even checked the hydrophone, so they're maybe offshore singing or something. Ow. Nice. So that is my latest report, but yeah, Monterey's good. A lot of gray whales. A lot, a lot, a lot. Sick. Sick. Adam. Owl, owls and... Oh my guys. god, guys. I'm out of the Ventura oh. Harbor Boatyard. Yay! No boatyard. Ow. Our no boat... Yeah, exactly. Dude, it was so bad. I, I can't even imagine how many, like, A, brain cells, and B, years off my life <laughs> I've lost because of the Ventura Harbor Boatyard. I mean, and that's that's in recent times. Imagine what it used to be like five oh, decades I can't ago. Even, I can't even imagine. Just, like, all the chemicals and stuff you breathe in. Um, but, yeah, we're out of the boatyard. We did uh, 40 knots on our steed trial, which is pretty crazy. A 71-foot <laughs> nice. boat. A 71-foot boat hauling at 40 knots. Um, I never thought that boat would go that fast. It was a little scary, to be honest, but <laughs> it was it was pretty cool. But you have full um, engine, right? Yeah, you got four, four yeah. So, yeah. That You're thing, never going to run it that fast on a trip, though. No, we, I, I don't think we legally can. I think for the <laughs> warranty, I think you need to run it under 30 knots for the first year. But even then, like, 30 knots on that boat is just, like... That's obscene. It's obscene. And so, like, I'm psyched about it because, like, sometimes, like, you'll, you know, you'll have a trip where, like, you get a report of, like, whales and you're, like, you're kind of having a bad trip or whatever. And they're, like, oh, crap. It's, like, 20 miles away. Like, 
You guys running yet? 39. No problem. Um, We would be. We would be if the Uh uh, weather wasn't such garbage. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's beautiful here. It just rained like 10 minutes ago. Yeah, we had a thunderstorm the last first, night. We were supposed to we were supposed to start on a on Monday the eighth, a few days ago, and every trip since then has been canceled because it's literally blowing like thirty five knots in the channel. Like I literally we've been doing boat work and stuff since then. So like even when I'm done with boat work, I still have more boat work. It never to, ends. It never. It ends. never ends. I know. But we were. I was just looking at it and I was like, oh my god, like this is the worst I've seen it in a while. And it doesn't really. It looks like it lets up a little bit tomorrow through the weekend and then next week it just ramps back right back up so springtime yeah. still have a team like whale yeah don't talk like that will you run this weekend nice. you think will you think you'll run this weekend yeah i hope so our boat's freaking full this weekend i hope we can run friday should be well down here at least it should be okay but you never know it might be pretty sloshy just from the whole week of wind there yeah, but a, they have yeah. a big boat so they can handle that but I don't have a big boat. Yeah, but also Dave's just like nervous about running the new boat. You don't want to have a literal shakedown it's cruise with boat. passengers on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe you should put ten thousand pounds of weight in the bow. That wow. I don't think that, I don't think that's a good idea. It really it really is only like Friday is good kind of, and Saturday and then Sunday is right back to win. I, that's what I'm saying. It's just. It seems like it's never. I was like, "You guys are so silly." We go out in thirty-five knots of wind every day in Maui. Yeah, we have no swell there. Yeah, it flattens out the ocean there. Yeah. 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 Wow, your weather is not looking good in Santa Barbara East Bowie at all. Oh no, dude. Oh, course my next week looks pretty boring for you. Yep. So uh, maybe I'll have to some see Slater more. Yeah. I I have a hydro flask for you somewhere. Yeah, I know. Yes. You guys can cry together. Yeah. Wait, Slater, your weather's good this weekend? Uh, Friday and Saturday. Hmm. Why, well, you coming out? You want to come out? Eric's getting crazy. Oh, I have the time off because I, I was doing my birthday trip, but where I want to go, it's snowing, and I don't want to freeze to death. Oh. Happy birthday. Oh, yeah, your birthday's in, like, a couple I was going to shoot wild horses, but... Uh, With your camera. Like, 20 degrees. Oh, yeah. Well, my, That's funny. my dad's going to f- photograph a horse today for some lady. It's getting really old, so she wants to get a picture of it. Uh, yeah, I'm looking for wi- wild ones in Nevada, or some mm. people call it Nevada. <laughs> I don't even think Eric even likes whales anymore. Uh, name the last time he's been on a hunt for a whale or a, a, any cetacean. It's always land stuff. With badgers. I've seen them all. I've seen most of them that I want to see. Oh, yeah? Have you seen the North Pacific right whale? Uh, That's what I need. That and the basking shark. That's like my waters must-haves. What about a bowhead whale? Not yet, but I don't mind. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to see one. (laughs) You're going to go all the way up there? I'll 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 get my own boat and drive it there. Are you going to paddleboard with one? Oh, my God. You guys down for a Greenland trip? Have Let's you seen it. those videos from Russia with bowhead whales so and stuff? Bad. What, yeah. they're paddleboarding so with them? Yeah, Dude, and they, like, freaking paddleboard. paddleboard over the top of them. Uh, Just, like, go right over I, the top of the back of the whale. You're like, Dude, what? What's his name, Rich? Oops. No. <laughs> so I haven't seen that guy in a long time. We gotta cut some of this episode out. <laughs> uh, that was funny. No, man. And then, like, people are, like, swimming. You can swim with them. 
there's a place where you can like I think you even just like launch from shore like you just get in at the beach and you can swim with them but I don't know how regulated it is I've definitely seen some videos where you're like wow that is there's a place in Canada they actually have like rub boulders (laughs) they go to this boulder like rub themselves on it oh really that'd be so cool to see I think I'm looking at that photo right now. Is there a paddleboard in the photo? Yes. Oh my god! There's a video from it where those, the guy. I think most of those videos and photos are from Russia. Yes. And yeah, there was a, there's a recent posting. Like there's a recent posting somewhere where they said they were gonna really crack down on those regulations because it's kind of getting out of hand, from what I read. Yeah. Kinda. <laughs> No, it's definitely my monitor around to show you guys these photos. They're crazy town. Send them in in the chat. Put them in the chat. (laughs) Oh my god! Click that link. So yeah, uh, Caitlin, what'd you see this week? Lots of humpback whales. Um, There was kind of like a weird. There was like a weird lull where the whales kind of disappeared. for like a week and we still but we still had some like really little calves and so i was like what is going on there's like it was really windy and it was hard to get around on the boat anyway and then the trade winds finally backed off for a couple days and it was like oh either some moved back in or like we just couldn't see him because it was so windy i'm not kidding it was blowing over 35 knots for like six days in a row it was awful (laughs) um and we did see quite a few turtles, of course, and there was a sighting of a whale shark, but I was not on the boat. It was like my one day off. Oh, I was flag. so tired, though. I like couldn't even really get out of bed that day because like we'd just been so beat up on trips and like I'd been working so many trips. That I was like, I literally would not be safe on the boat today if I went into work. So I was like, it's super cool that they saw a whale shark, but like I missed it because it was like my one day off. Where was it? Pretty rare there. Um, I guess in the spring and summer they're not as rare, but like, you know, they're hard to spot. Is it? Was it in the usual place you take them to snorkel, or was it on the way? No, usually what happens is I think they see them like on the way to Molokini or like on the way back to the harbor from like Turtle Town and stuff, like out in the middle, like more open offshore type stuff. The one that was along the shore. The one that was on the shore in Lahaina like two months ago or whatever remember you tagged me in that Eric uh-huh. that I think is less common that they're close to shore like that I think they're more out that's crazy so I love whale yeah. sharks they're so cool I still have never seen one so I really want to see one but yeah I'll get one. hopefully I'll be very happy you guys will all hear about it <laughs> or you just gotta um, go to Mexico they're everywhere in Mexico I know. Well, I'm just hoping that maybe before I'm done with the season here, it'll happen. We'll see. I don't know. That'd be cool. I've been on the water a lot, which is good. It's exhausting, but it's good. Um, so, Did yeah. you guys know that we don't really know where whale sharks breed? And that's yeah. a huge conservation issue because they're now... How do you protect that area? Yeah. Exactly. If you don't know where it is. They think it's off of the Galapagos is what a lot of people are kind of trying to figure out. They've seen a lot of pregnant females. I think uh, we've talked about that. The Galapagos. Huh? Have we? I don't know. No, I think I we talked about it a long time ago. What, really. Or was it a movie that we watched where they they like tagged a mother, but then it like fell off right before? And I think that was like, kind of like the Blue Whale one. I think it was a film. 
I don't think we talked about mm-hmm. it on an episode. You seen the footage of the baby whale sharks? Like Southeast Asia, they they get them every oh, round. Yeah. And they're like yay big. Isn't that cool? Two, two three feet long. Yeah. Oh, that's so cute. Have they seen one give birth in captivity? No. I yeah. don't. There's not an. Is there an active attempt for breeding programs in captivity? I don't, I don't think, think so. so. Now, don't think there so is either. a whale shark in captivity, though, right? Yeah, yeah. whale sharks. Georgia, 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 Georgia Aquarium has some. Okinawa. Japan has some. Yep. Okinawa yeah. Aquarium has one. Georgia had one of Georgia's just died a few months ago, or maybe yeah. even a year ago. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But Georgia's um. Are bad. Yeah, so that's on my list of things that I would like to see here. But um, there's still we're starting to see more competition groups, which I that's pretty yeah. typical March Madness, where there's yeah. less and less females around, and so there's more competition sparked for males and uh, more activity. So I've seen a couple competition groups the last couple days, which have been pretty decent. So any bloody yeah. tubercles? Um, not recently, but earlier in the season, we had a couple groups that were like that, where we had, there was some blood drawn. Nice. And the blood's from, from the barnacles and maybe even keys. Yeah. And stuff, right? <laughs> Mostly barnacles. <laughs> okay. Just from the sure. other whales scraping each other. Okay. <laughs> I'm, just what kind of, I'm just wondering what kind of sharp objects whales have to encounter yeah. sometimes. You know, yeah, to yeah, be honest, sure. <laughs> it's pretty sad. I don't know if I talked about this in an episode previously but um i worked a shift in lahaina and uh-huh. there was a pretty young calf that had propeller scars from its dorsal fin all the way down to its Jeez. like the, i'm not kidding this calf was under a month old it already had prop scars and the prop scars looked like they had already spread out so it got hit when it was pretty little um and then also i've seen a couple whales with like these weird like parallel a set of lines on them that are like it almost looks like barnacles from the bottom of a boat so Mm. yeah definitely be careful out there if you're boating and we actually have one of our topics is more about that as well leads to one of our topics pretty well yeah so should we get into it yeah let's do it yes science should we just go in order is how i have it that work i'll tell you what i saw real quick Oh yeah, it, what did you it see? It wasn't a very long <laughs> list. It wasn't a very long list. <laughs> I saw like three gray whales and six inshore bottlenose dolphin. Nice. Hey. More than I seen, dude. <laughs> it was a it was actually like I had that really incredible week with the humpbacks, gray whales, fin whales, comments, and then like we just started getting wind and everything kind of has been weird. Yeah. But yeah, well, I'm glad you're still getting out there seeing whales. There was no gray whales that week either, the first week, and then all of a sudden there's a lot of northbound gray whales now. So it should be Starting pretty good. Pick right up. Now. Yeah. Well, yep. the first topic we have on our list was a suggestion from Slater. Woo! Yeah. So it's not about whales, but it is about an ocean animal. It's about cuttlefish. Um, so <laughs> this is from Science Alert, which is hosted by, uh, let's see, I don't remember. It's Science Alert. I think it's a magazine. <sighs> um, and so it says the cephalopod has passed a cognitive test designed for human children. And we were all teasing each other about the marshmallow test. I ate it. I, I would pass. You that, ate it? That I only so get easily. one. <laughs> I think I, I, think I, I would waited. pass. Now he I'm got pretty, two marshmallows. Well, it's like, 
It would be for us. It would be like, okay, we'll give you one humpback whale, but if you don't look at it, you'll get yeah, ten humpback whales. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'd close my eyes. Oh, <laughs> I have to close my eyes. Slater's that little kid in the chair with his hands over his eyes, like, don't yeah. look at the marshmallow. Don't look at the marshmallow. <laughs> so, um, the Stanford marshmallow experiment is where it was like uh, modeled after. So, if you guys don't know what we're talking about, basically, a kid sat at a table. And they put a marshmallow on the table and they tell the kid, if you can wait 15 minutes, you'll get two marshmallows. And then they make them sit there in front of the marshmallow for 15 minutes and record what they do. And um, so if you can, if the child can wait the full 15 minutes and get the two marshmallows, it shows that they understand delayed gratification and that they have skills like future planning, things like that. Um, And so it doesn't, I don't know if it necessarily determines anything in their personality or their future or anything, but it kind of shows like how some people are way more patient than others and understand the like delayed reward concept. And some people don't. Um, There are primates that can do this and even corvids. So like uh, ravens and crows. And then I think they've tried to do it with dogs, but the results have been pretty inconsistent. Um, but last year, a cuttlefish passed the marshmallow test. Of course, they didn't actually give the cuttlefish marshmallows. Um, <laughs> so basically what they did is they used <laughs> wait, crab wait, wait. meat. <laughs> Imagine they tried to give it a marshmallow. It was like, no wonder it didn't take it. And then, <laughs> then they give it shrimp and it eats it. It's like, oh. You know what it is. It didn't eat they the marshmallow. They gave me two marshmallows and it still didn't eat it. Hopefully like there's the three little, marshmallows. Little, little marshmallows are like the campfire size ones. <laughs> That affects the the delayed gratification. Oh. Right. Um, so just really so, like just going like this, staring at the marshmallow for fifteen minutes, going, "Oh, yeah, I want to see this." <laughs> of the kids or of the cuttlefish? Yeah. Well, the cuttlefish didn't get a marshmallow. They did it with crab meat and with shrimp. But I want to see the original experiment. Like, this is just footage of people staring at marshmallows, which they're looking at. For yeah, have you minutes. not seen a video of the kids doing it? Yeah, <laughs> there's real? some. Some of you, you can find it. You know what? There's a Netflix documentary that's all about science, and like one of the episodes, they do that for some reason. Yeah, like some of the kids literally, that's why I was saying Slater would be the kid with the hands over his eyes, because like some of the kids will sit there with their eyes closed for 15 minutes so so that they can wait it out. (laughs) And some of them will like really like get really close and like try and touch it, and then they're like, no. Slater is right. It's kind of like here in Monterey when we pass all the single whales, you know, to get to the the, the freaking lunch feeding whales, you know. And yeah. none of our passengers pass the test. They're like, yeah. You're like, trust us. We have something better. Trust yeah. the process. Fine. Anyone doesn't want to see the killer whale eating the gray yeah. whale, we'll just stop right here. Exactly. Yeah. So basically, with cuttlefish, they did. Um, if the cuttlefish would refrain from eating a meal of crab meat then they would get shrimp, which they prefer. Live. So, yeah. Yeah, and then they did another version where they had um, a chamber that was, like, see-through, and, like, one was a piece of raw king prawn, just, like, a piece of it, and then the other one was a live shrimp. And so then, like, the cuttlefish could, like, be trained to look at both of those and recognize what was going on, and then they would open the door to the the piece of meat and if they didn't go for it right away, then the door would be open for the live shrimp instead. So they could delay, they could wait gotcha. and not go for the piece of meat. So smart. That's pretty smart. Aliens. 
Cephalopods are going to take over the world someday. Aliens. They already are. This. Did you guys? Did you guys see that crazy video of the? Did you guys see the crazy video like that cuttlefish? Like the eye. Oh, the color change and stuff. Like, it's it's like a real eye. Look at that thing. Well, duh, it's a real eye. <laughs> but like, it's like, look at that. Like, look. who took that? <laughs> <laughs> who took that video? Uh, his name is uh, Hunting for Paradise. It's not his actual name, but yeah. Look him up on what's your name? Is it what's his last yeah. name? Is it is it Paradise or is it Forest? <laughs> or, or is it Hunting? It's Hunting for yeah. <laughs> Mr. Paradise? <laughs> yeah, Mr. Paradise. So, do you want to hear the theory as to why they think these animals can do this? Why? Aliens? So, they said cuttlefish, as far as it's known, they don't use tools or store food, and they're not particularly social. But they think that they have the ability to delay gratification because of how much time they spend, like, camouflaging and stalking prey. So, mm. like, they'll hunker they down wait. somewhere and, like, wait until they get, they see what they want and know that they can attack it. Uh, so they're really used to waiting then. Yeah. Yeah, so he's just like, well, I don't really want that. If this thing's going to open up, I'll just stay camo and then, yeah. How big was this cuttlefish, by the way? Because these little baby ones are really cool. Um, I don't know. It says got- it was a common cuttlefish. Common. Sepia the- officinalis. Yeah. It's not that big? Not that well, I don't know. Let's Google mid, it. Mid size, mid size for a cuttlefish. Then you got like, pajan- like flamboyants that are like that big and. Yeah, the flamboyant ones are tiny. Tiny, yeah. But I then there's see a cuttlefish. That big. Forty-nine centimeters in mantle length. It's a little over a foot. Yeah. Yeah, that's oh. that's kind of big. You yeah. think people eat cuttlefish? Yep. Yeah. You know your birds? You give them that bone. That's from cuttlefish. Yep. Oh yeah. Yeah, and cuttlefish tastes. Good. It's like squid. It's like squid, probably. Yeah. Do you th- do you think cuttlefish are like the cool like big brother and 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 squid are kind of just like the boring like dude that just like sits at home all day or like I don't know. Squid are pretty. Cool squid too. are gnarly, dude. <laughs> big squid are really gnarly. Yeah. Yeah, like the humble squid are crazy town. Humble's club hooks. Yeah. Dude, I would. Like, dude, they would eat season. Adam and like. I'll like give it, it eight, 8.4 seconds. <laughs> look at Rizzo. Look at Rizzo's, dude. Oh, yeah, look how scarred up Rizzo's like, dolphins yeah, are. Sperm whales are. Dude, I want to see a Rizzo eating squid at the surface. It'll probably never happen, but that'd be so cool. Well, you know what? It's like, imagine those days where all the Humboldts are just at the surface and they're just grabbing, like, nothing. You know what I mean, Eric? You yeah, fish for, you fish for Humboldt for. It's been for. a while. I wish they'd come back, yeah. But it's like... Okay, imagine you're out there fishing for those, and you know, literally, you could drop like a feather in the water, and like a hundred of them will attack it. And it's like, okay, on those days, if a pod of rizzos came through, freak out, that'd be wild. Oh, they're just like throwing squid, it lands on your boat, tentacle (laughs) whacks on your forehead. (laughs) Yeah, you know, the craziest thing, squidding in your eye, you're trying to shoot. (laughs) Caitlin and Slater, Caitlin and Slater might remember this. I think it happened like. Before I moved here in Monterey, but like a a, a Rizzo, like almost full size, like thirteen footer, like washed up in front of Moss, and the Moss Landing Lab is yeah. just right there. So they're like, "We'll yeah. get it." And yeah. when they did the necropsy, there was like a full six foot squid inside of it, like full, you know, because they don't chew. It was like, "How?" Yeah. It's like, ah. <laughs> it's "Swerp it on down, man." Down. How many yeah, they got? Like six, six four? four, like eight. Um, like I think four they pairs. have. Yeah, yeah, four to four to something. It's only on the top. They have, 
eight at most, only on the bottom. Only, only on the bottom. On the bottom. Yeah. yeah. And they're like in pairs. It's weird. Yeah, they're side by side. It's cute. Oh my gosh! You imagine watching that thing. It probably take them like they probably get a hold of it, and then it takes them like I don't know, a full dive just to eat one squid. Uh, I have a shot of their teeth. I'll send it to you guys later. Yeah, you know what? Right. Reaching photo of a Rizzo with his mouth open. That'd be cool, huh? Someone had one yeah. that's like actually sharp. Mine's kind of. Tori, Tori Crawl has, has it? one or Coleman. Yeah, he has oh, one. Tor- everything Tori has is pretty badass. Yeah, that dude's that dude's insane. Yeah. yeah. All right, so our next piece of news is about bottlenose dolphins. Um, so dolphins are finally living and breeding in the Potomac River. So we're talking East Coast, um, outside of, like, up from the Chesapeake Bay. Um, so Virginia area. And uh, there's historical <laughs> records. Um, there's historical records of dolphins being up the Potomac River, all the way up as far as Alexandria, Virginia. Um, But then, of course, like, as the river got industrialized and polluted and all that. um, I need a map to see how far inland that is. Okay. Does it say Virginia Beach? Is it like, or other parts of Virginia? Um, Is Virginia Beach on the south side of the Chesapeake? I think it is. Let's Google map it. Google it, Mom. Google it, Mom. Oh, so funny. Uh, how do I pull up on my thing? The Google map. Hampton. Come on, Caitlin. You should know this. You lived in the East Coast. She's not in Virginia. I went yeah, through there, though, East on Coast is, In my mind, East Coast is all the same. It's not, though. From, like, it's South like, Carolina to, like, New York. I think Alexandria like all- is, like, almost to D.C. Jeez. Oh, yeah, you're right. Oh, my God. Yeah, just south of it. Yeah, that's nuts. Yeah, it's like, wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I was wondering how far they go in over there. Way up there. Way up there. Maps are fun. I I only went into the beginning of the Chesapeake. I didn't, like, and got into Norfolk. I didn't go way the Uh heck up into the river. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's way, that's really far up there. So, um, by the 1960s, the the whole river system was really bad. It was really polluted. Mm-hmm. Um, there was lots of different animals that were suffering because the river system was so bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we're looking now, like, into the 2010s, and they documented over a 1,000 bottlenose dolphins living, mating, and even they witnessed a birth in the wow. lower reaches of the Potomac. That's awesome. Um, yeah, so this is the Potomac-Chesapeake Dolphin Project. It's hosted by Georgetown University. Um, and they, in 2015, only had 200 individuals, and then now... This year, I think they're up to a thousand in their catalog. Wow, that's awesome. Some have even swam upstream within fifty miles of DC, so almost all yeah. the way back to Alexandria, like <laughs> that's they used crazy. to. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, let's see. And then they were following a group of dolphins, a group of fifty near Lewisetta, Virginia, and then they witnessed a cloud of blood float to the surface. Mm-hmm. And then they saw a really small dolphin with a really bent over dorsal fin pop up near an adult. Mm. So Aww. they think that they had just witnessed a birth in the river. Cool. It was wow. pretty cool. 
So, um, yeah, so that's a fun discovery. And I think we don't fully realize how much these, and even these like saltwater animals use like brackish and freshwater yeah. systems. Well, like I said a few episodes ago, everyone's saying, you know, they always compare bonos as like the coyote of the sea. They could just adapt to everything. It's kind of yeah. crazy. Yeah, pretty impressive. But even like the last few years in Oregon, like up the Columbia River, like there's been humpback whales like in east of Astoria. And I just Uh saw a thing that like there was a gray whale in there as well. And Uh there's sea lions that go all the way up to Bonneville Dam. That's like over 100 miles inland, you know? Yeah. So I think we don't realize how much range (laughs) these animals really used to have because we polluted the river so heavily. Speaking of range. Go ahead. Go for it, Adam. I was going to say, it really makes me, like, just, like, you know, thinking about how these populations were back in the day, like, even before, you know, the modern human. Like, I can't yeah. even fathom the amount of whales that used to be yeah. in the ocean. It's mm-hmm. pretty incredible, but also sad to think about. Cool. Yeah. And how many things went up rivers further than they yeah. used to, you know? Oh, I'm, sh- I'm sure there used to be uh, humpbacks, like, up rivers all the time, you know? Just, like, yeah. you know, our rivers were for probably, salmon or, like... Yeah, our rivers were probably higher water level, flowing better, wider, yeah. you know? And you think about yeah. how big, like, rivers like the Columbia are, I mean, geez. Exactly. Yeah, like, and those rivers yeah. used to be more of a braided river system, and so they covered a lot more floodplains and things like that. But then, you know, yeah. humans had to go and try and control these mighty forces of nature flows, and channel yeah. them into narrow areas. Completely off Which... subject, but we could probably add it to the next one. But we, we were just talking about range. You guys hear about Morocco? Oh, the uh, yeah. outback? There's the a great whale. Oh, the great, great oh, yes. okay. Yeah, yeah. It was Adam in, and I were talking on, about that. Yeah, it's on my episode 73 list. We'll talk about um, later then. Yeah, but yeah, just keep that on your radar, people. Um, there was I love gray whales. Atlantic gray whale sighting. Me too. It's so Favorite. cool. Like, it's just it's just really interesting. Like when we see like behaviors like, in you know the the film Whale Wisdom, where that humpback's like eating baby salmon, which like is yeah. like we see, like stuff like that, you know, or like humpbacks showing back up in the Pacific Northwest after you know fifty years of being absent or whatever. It's just like yeah. you know, the animals are starting to expand more and kind of reach their old habitats where they used to be and you know they're being creative like you know i saw that whale that we named dosuckies which was like creatively capturing pools of anchovies by using his tail and then trap feeding up as well and it's just like behaviors like that and like whales popping up in new locations is like probably my favorite part about whale watching i, th- I think that's so yeah. interesting well then my other question also is like before humans drastically altered you know, all of our marine ecosystems, did these animals actually need to use that amount of range? Or is this out of desperation of there not being enough food out in the open ocean? Like, historically, Mm, were there sea lions, you know, 100 miles up to Columbia looking for fish? Or was there enough fish out in the ocean that they never went that far? You know, that's the question I always have. Because when they're hungry, they'll do what they need to do to find food. And I think that a lot of people miss that when they look at like, you know, lethal methods of keeping the fish the sea lions out of fish traps and stuff like that and like these animals would not swim this far for no reason that's very true yeah they're looking for food yeah there might have been no reason to even go up there yeah yeah so i don't know i can't confirm this but like kind of steering back towards gray whales like some there's i might have heard it when i was back in school since we were in san diego there was something about gray whales might have 
made it as uh, might have used um, not a Baja Lagoon, but maybe even San Diego Bay itself as mm. a uh, a place to raise calves, like maybe you know so centuries ago. I forgot where Did I heard imagine? it. I can't confirm it, but yeah, it's huge. Like that bay is huge, and it goes way back. Like yeah, it's it's, bigger than, I think it's bigger than San Ignacio. Yeah. It's actually pretty crazy if you think about it. I wouldn't. I wouldn't doubt it that they used to use that. You know, before yeah. people really modernized the West Coast. You know, I, I totally think that's probably, you know, a, a very good possibility. Mm-hmm. Like the, I'm talking about, like the mission. It's not like the San Diego Harbor Bay is big, but like also the the like Mission Bay. You know, like where SeaWorld yeah. is. Like yeah. that place. There's also this place. I went to a wakeboard tournament when I was really young there. And yeah, that place totally looks like it would be Grey Whale City. Caitlin, can you day. ask the god, the god of Grey Whales? Yeah, I can email him. <laughs> okay. Oh, shoot want. him an email, dude. Hit him with a hit him with a tweet. You know? I could even call him if you want. Oh, god. oh, she got his digits. Hello, <laughs> dear god of Grey Whales. Eric was wondering if. <laughs> Where else would they go? Like. Because, I mean, think about how smart they are. It's like, okay, we already got Pacific Coast Feeding Group. It's like, well, I'll go to Alaska. Well, then I can stay here in Northern California mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. British Columbia. So they might have been like, why take my baby all the way down there when I can just stop off in San Diego? Well, it's yeah. also, also <laughs> this lagoon's got to reach capacity. Like, Guerrero Negro is the first one that they go to, right? And then it goes to San Ignacio and then MAG. So why don't like why are they skipping Guerrero Negro? They must be just like, ah, oh, too many homies there. I don't want to hang out with those people. And they keep going, right? <laughs> or it's just because that's where they were born, so they kept going. Yeah, well, historically, there used to be so many gray whales that, like, I'm sure those lagoons were literally full. You walk so, over them, yeah. Yeah, like, at some point, they're like, nah, it's too crowded, we gotta go. And then you have this, mm-hmm. like, you know, go where your mom takes you thing as well. So that maybe is a remnant of, like, when the population was bigger is why they still spread out that far. Oh, can you also ask the god this if you talk to him? <laughs> where did our Atlantic populations give like, Where were they? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, I, could pick I don't know, I don't know if he knows all up. that historical stuff because he did more of like the present, like yeah. current studies of gray whales. Because I know they found the bones. They've been finding bones off Georgia's coastline. So mm-hmm. I don't, but you know, I don't know. Like, Florida, I'll, I'll think about it. I don't think perfect, Florida. You know, like if intercoastal waterway. Well, yeah, that's where, that's where the right whales breed. Yeah. So, Florida and Georgia. Damn. Man. Um, Can you imagine seeing that? Gray whales and right whales just like everywhere up the East Coast. That would be so crazy. Be awesome. What if they went around the corner and just went up to like. Inside the Gulf? Yeah, somewhere yeah. up that way. They that may have help. as well. I mean, you see manatees in there. Panama City. I'd go there. <laughs> He's looking at that Florida. <laughs> just on the map, like, this looks great. <laughs> or, uh, I'd go there. Back to I'm like, just looking at anywhere that has, like, a bay, like, Chudamal and Mexico. But also, you have to think about the Gulf and how it used to be uh-huh. before humans tried to tame all those river yeah. systems. Again, there's a lot of sediment flow yeah. and a lot of brackish water and stuff. I don't know if that's better or worse for sure. breeding habitat, you know. Back to, like, Adam, what he just said, like, you wish you could go back in time and see, like, what was here. Um, if you go, if anyone ever visits the um, – there's a national – park museum it's kind of weird it's over um by fisherman's wharf in uh, san francisco i don't know if it's open now because of everything's going on but in there they have a whaling exhibit and they still have an old map of where they 
where they were taking uh, right whales and sperm whales off of California. And oh, my everywhere. God. Everywhere. They actually have little stamps they would put on the map of where they took the animal, and it was everywhere. It was crazy. Wow. Yeah, they're, they're like wow. sperm whale shapes and right whale shaped stamps, and they would stamp the locations, and you're like, that's oh California. And it's like, yep. And hopefully it's still on display. Yeah, it's pretty cool. That would Could be really cool that, to see. Man? Yeah. People suck. Yeah. <laughs> Killed them yeah, all. We we're just we we're just quite an invasive species. That's what our podcast we? lets us know every time we talk. People <laughs> <laughs> if you get one of the main themes out of the podcast, it's that humans are the worst. Maybe that should be our little tag. Like whale nerds in a little you know parentheses. Humans are the worst. <laughs> humans are the worst. <laughs> we suck. Well, just like like think about it. There's like what? They estimate thirty Pacific right whales. North Pacific yeah, right 30, whales. Yeah, thirty to fifty. Yeah. And it's like, could you imagine they used to slaughter them off the California coast? Like Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's it's like so they're eating crazy. pancakes, like it's nothing. Yeah. Same and sperm with- whales yeah. too. Yeah. Yes. We yeah. see sperm whales what? Once in Monterey like, Bay maybe every it. couple of years. Mm-hmm. Like Yeah. Yep. Dude, go- uh, Google sperm whale Monterey Bay, Adam, and you can see all the photos of them in Moss Landing where they drag them at up. At the whaling them. station. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. I don't want yeah. to, but I'm also going to. I got that book. Fact, okay, well, this pictures. this very doom and gloom turn is kind of appropriate for the next thing on our topics. <laughs> Another sad one. Let's hit it, Caitlin. This is the last sad one. So, speaking of how humans are the worst, Cottontail, who is a North Atlantic right whale, was confirmed dead on, I think, March 1st. This whale had been entangled since the fall of 2019. Jeez. Oh my gosh. There's a photo from Center for Coastal Studies Right Whale Aerial Survey, October 19th, 20. Oh no, excuse me, 2020. October 19th of 2020. It had line wrapped in its mouth, trailing down its back. And I think there was an attempt to disentanglement, disentangle it, but it didn't um it didn't get it all. And then, yeah, this is emaciated body found on Saturday. So at the end of February, they found it dead off Myrtle Beach, Southern, uh, South Carolina. Mm. So, um, yeah, he was born in 2009. Um, and he was sighted in Cape Cod Bay almost every single year during his life. And he is the 34th recorded death since 2017 for North Atlantic right whales. So they are also oh, having a God. UME, an unusual mortality event. Um, we did the definitions of a UME in a previous episode not that long ago when we were talking about gray whales. Um, so, yeah, I mean, basically, he just starved to death. Mm-hmm. From, mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty horrible. Yeah, so sorry to bum me out with that one, but yeah, that humans are the worst. Yeah. yeah, Those pictures of him was, were, pretty, were pretty bad and the great whites yeah. feeding on him and stuff. Yeah. I mean, this just goes back. I've said this on the podcast before, but, like, this just goes back to Michael Moore. When he was talking to ACS a couple years ago, he's like, we might as well just go back to whaling because it's more humane than letting <laughs> animals die of disentanglement. Yeah. Right? I mean, like, it's it's so bad. And I guess that just goes, you know, like, everybody out there listening, like, if you eat seafood, purchase it sustainably, um, support, you know, because there are a lot of companies out there that are getting into sustainable fishing and you know, managing fish stocks properly and all that stuff. So be wary of what you eat and where your food comes from. I think that's very important. And, you know, try your best to support sustainable um, fishing companies. I guess that's all I can say about that. Yeah, for sure. 
Yeah, know where your yeah. seafood comes. You should know where all your food comes from, to be honest. But know where totally. your seafood comes from, especially. Eric, you think there's just so many bones on the Moss Landing Beach? You know what? Um, actually, Richard, didn't he say that there used to be a lot of minky whale bones and stuff like that? Like, actually, even like right there off of uh, Del Monte, like people were talking about bones that were like lying. From there, just, yeah, pretty much all around the bay. Because if you think about the whaling stations here, I mean, you had Point Lobos, you had Moss Landing, you had Davenport, you know. They process whales on shore at Maccabee as well. Yeah. Yeah, just wait for a good winter day, big swell. And, and what mean, is I, it? Yeah. Whaler's Cove in uh, Point Lobos? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there were bones everywhere. In fact, you know, whale station, remember the the, the front door and the the vertebrae sidewalk you know yeah the yeah they yeah, have the they have that boiling pot there too they have one in whaler's cove and yeah. Lobos, and then they have one right there on monterey wharf where you can go see that yeah what's that place called caitlin that little sector it's uh it's the monterey whaling oh up in the plaza what is it called? heritage harbor heritage, heritage harbor, harbor. Yep. yeah yeah that's that where place. the whaling building is you can yeah. see where they melted the blubber down yep. yeah we have such a dark past. It's so sad. Yeah, it is. All right. So let's talk. Um, a li- it's less sad, but it's still, you know, it uh, kind of has sad undertones. <laughs> I feel like the whale, the whale world is so interesting. No, whale is so sad. Do you remember? Well, there's just me so talking- many amazing things that we see, but at the same time, it's like. Do you remember uh, me talking about Future Ecologies, the podcast? And I was listening to this guy who works with like the rare manzanitas in Central California, and he's like, at least I don't work on the ocean. And I was like, dude, you have one plant left of the species you're studying, and you'd rather do that than work on the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, that's, that's bad. sad. Okay, so our next topic is one that I'm actually um, happy to see some uh, some science done on. It's about the okay. diet uh, studies year-round on southern resident killer whales. So, like, what are they reading? Uh, what are they eating all year long? Um, we obviously know salmon is very important to them, but like they also eat other things. So we should kind of look more into that and see if there's some other ways we can kind of help protect their food sources. Um, in the late winter to early spring, their diet is the most variable, which makes sense because that's not the salmon are not running then um, back to their native rivers. But Chinook salmon is always going to be the most major component of their diet. Yes. And one of the interesting things that I saw, which makes sense, I mean, these animals are smart. They want the best bang for their buck. They tend to select older age classes of fish because they're yep. bigger. They have a higher oil content, um, but they're also harder to find because of yeah, the fisheries pressure and the spawning issues. It's harder to find older fish. Um. They tend to consume the fish close to the fish's natal river, which also makes sense. When the salmon are returning to those inland waters, back to the rivers for spawning, Uh um, they've been offshore feeding, you know, they're nice and fat and ready to breed. That's where they're going to go to catch them. And they bottleneck there, right? Like they're not as spread out because they're trying to get back to their natal river. So it's easier to catch them because they're in a higher concentration, I think. That's my theory on it. Um, yeah, so I don't know if you guys have any other thoughts. Oh, I, I also made a, like a cascading list of like what they eat. So at the top of the list is Chinook salmon, then chum salmon, then coho, like 
Lincod and Halibut were in there yeah. too, right? That's kind of yeah. Neat. It's like yeah, it goes Snook, uh, Chum, Coho, Steelhead, Lincod, Halibut, and Skate are the yeah. top ones that they eat. And again, skate. all those fish are yeah. big, right? And they have a pretty good oil content. So wow, let's hope that they start picking up the bottom of that list and start flipping around their yeah. food selection. But it's amazing how smart they are with their food. Yeah, because they're picking, literally picking out the fattiest, oily ones. You know, you literally yeah. go. To- Skate has like nothing, you know, and then yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. They're so smart. Yeah, they are. They really are. Um, but also, like lingcod and halibut are also highly easier sized to get, fish. Too. and they're easier to get too for well, if you think about it, right? Because they don't, they're not as fast as the salmon. Yeah, yeah, but also, like, there's still going to be issues of competition with fishing pressure for those two fish if they yeah. end up making Lincoln's that very more popular. of their diet. Yeah. And Alan, they're both there. really popular. Yeah. Wasn't there footage of actually, uh, I don't know what, what eco type it was, but um, a K Dub taking a, 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 a halibut off of someone's line? Was that oh, what, really? Alaska or somewhere in the Pacific Northwest? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Probably find that on the, the YouTubes. Yeah, I never saw it, but yeah. Um, yeah, so I don't know if you guys had any other thoughts since you read the papers as well. I see some other notes in here that I don't think I wrote. So I think um, it's, it's just. Shows it's impressive. Exactly. Yeah, like, you know, we always talk about these animals eating Chinook salmon, and obviously, I think it said in the spring, 100% of their samples were Chinook salmon based, um, of their fecal samples and scale samples or whatever. Um, and, you know, obviously, like these animals, you know, are, you know, we always talk about how we hope they can adapt and we hope that they can, that they can, you know, start eating other food sources. And it's like, okay, yeah, you know, they do eat some of their diet is these are these other food sources but at the end of the day it's like that's what they've been eating for thousands and thousands and millions of years you know Mm -hmm. and then it can't just change like that Mm -hmm. Uh, so i think that the fact that you know even even when they're eating you know i think it said in the fall they're eating 50 percent chinook salmon i mean even then you know that's almost the majority of their diet so that fact not changed it's not gonna they're not going to go away from eating Chinook salmon. And that's what mm-hmm. we should be focused on is, you know, increasing Chinook salmon instead of all of these other yeah. you know, outside distractions. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I think you have to recognize that they are capable of eating other food, but I don't think we should rely on that as a conservation strategy. Yeah. Right. Definitely. A lot of people were waiting for that day. You know, there's so much footage, footage of, of residents like, playing with harbor porpoise you know just one day one eating gonna the bite. crap out of there yeah really biting going <laughs> oh you know it's gonna be yeah. like <laughs> yeah. but i mean i think mm-hmm. i think the southern residents are kind of like a canary in a coal mine when it comes to the chinook salmon fishery right because it's not just them that eat chinook salmon and also the flow of nutrients from the open ocean to the inland water habitats, a lot of that is driven by Chinook salmon. So it's not just going to be the ocean that suffers from not having these fish. And so I don't know how you don't look at the Southern resident situation and go, holy moly, we need to save the fish populations. Cause it's not just these whales that are suffering. They're just the most obvious ones to see. Yeah. So those are big. Yeah. So Yeah. It was good to see something come out about the fish in relation to Southern residents, not just Definitely. any other Vessels. issues yeah. or anything. So hopefully, 
um, the damn conversation continues to build um, <laughs> yeah, some, positive, some positive well, momentum. It has been, you know, yeah. it, it, it really has been. And that's great to hear. And, you know, that's the, that's the one thing that we've all been fighting for and everybody in the Pacific Northwest has been fighting for. And it's good to see, you know, even though there are papers and, you know, governments trying to attack whale watching or attack sea lions, like, you know, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's good to know that, you know, this salmon problem is still at the, the at the front of the line, hopefully, and that, yeah. you know, yeah. these dams can be taken down at some point. Yep. Okay, so our next one is a paper that came out uh, at the beginning of the year from uh, Frontiers uh, Science Journal, and it's from Pacific Whale Foundation and collaborators mm-hmm. about whale watch vessel behavior and actually just all vessel behavior in general in the Hawaiian Islands around humpback whales. Um, the paper is open source, so you anyone can access it and read it. And it was a land-based study, which I think was... Um, compelling because it's less likely to bias the results because your vessel is not there being a factor in the whole mix. Um, And basically what they found with, they used like two theodolites. So they tracked like the group of whales and then they tracked the vessels and then they like calculated, you know, distances and speeds and all that kind of stuff. And what they found is that in the presence of vessels, the dive times for whales were significantly shorter during and after an encounter with a whale. So they were at the surface more and they were diving less, about 83% shorter dive times. Um, and most of the reduction in uh, dive time was occurring when boats were only following the federal regulation, which is you can't ac- approach closer than 100 yards. And they weren't following any additional whale watch guidelines, such as be whale aware, which is what Pacific Whale Foundation's vessels came up with. Um, After getting a lot of this research information behind the scenes, we were able to put together a program that's more holistic about how to approach whales. And it's more um, like it can be used better situationally. Um, So boats that were, there was a noticeable difference between boats that only followed the hundred yard approach versus boats that followed the be whale aware um, guidelines. The the presence of vessels also caused whales to swim faster, had higher respiration rates and increased their path directedness. So they were less zigzagging. They're traveling more in a straight line um, and they decreased their dive times and they they kind of characterize all those things into what's called a horizontal avoidance strategy. So this is the whales trying to get away from the boat in some fashion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the approach method of each vessel as they got close to that hundred yards did affect, uh, did reduce some of the effects of those ob- observed behavior changes. So if you came in slow and, you know, like from the side or like slightly behind the whales, then you're going to have less of an adverse response from the whale. Uh, but the overall conclusion, which is not surprising, is that vessels in Hawaii are impacting whale behavior, right? Like we can't yeah. deny that a boat is going to have some impact on whale behavior. Yes. Um, they did. They did say that the vessel proximity effects to humpback whales affected all their surface behaviors. And that does line up with previous work that's been done around the Hawaiian islands with humpback whales Uh, But the paper also recognizes that this, the relationships between boats and whales and even amongst groups of whales is really complex, especially in the breeding grounds, like 
mom calf escort pairs and competition groups and that kind of stuff, they all have really unpredictable behavior. And so they can't attribute all of it to the boats because even when they observe those whales without any boats, they did have unpredictable surface behavior patterns. For sure. Um, then they said, and then that was saying that, of course, then your results cannot solely be attributed to a single cause being vessels. Um, but vessels and their proximity to whales does play a role in uh, whale behavior. Um, they also said that in general, the vessel presence and proximity to whales was more of a factor than anything else, even including the number of vessels and the types of vessels. Yeah. The mm -hmm. most important thing was, is there a boat there or not? After, after there's one boat there and they're at that 100 yards, it doesn't really matter how many other boats are going to come around. You've already had a disturbance. Like, Gotcha. So, yeah. I think it was interesting. I think they also put an emphasis on one point on just, you know, a, a pretty big emphasis on, on approach. And I think that is something mm -hmm. that is, is definitely um, – controllable from our standpoint from mm -hmm. whale watch standpoint or just vessels in general you know like for the most part you know when we're whale watching or i assume it's the same in maui you know you see a whale and you know how far about it is and you can approach accordingly you know mm -hmm. obviously there's some times where you'll be approaching and maybe another whale will pop up closer to the boat and you know that's kind of hard to avoid but mm -hmm. i feel like for the most part you know with responsible again we always talk about responsible whale watching companies and proper etiquette around whales you can kind of control that. You can slow down when you get within a quarter mile or a half mile of a whale and slowly approach it. You know, that's what we do. Yeah. I'm sure that's what a lot of companies do. So I think the just approach in general, you know, that's something that we can control and, you know, try to lessen our impact there. Um, but just all together, you know, I think, I think uh, a paper written about viewing whales from shore and vessel effect there, I think is a lot more beneficial than using a vessel to try to determine that. Like, yeah. you know, we talked about the paper with the tags with the killer whales and stuff. And obviously yeah. killer whales and humpbacks are, I think, different. you know, different, different monsters. Yeah. And, you know, you got to deal with them. It's different all different. Ways. Yeah. I think it's really yeah. species dependent too. like, like gray whales. Like one thing I've noticed some captains do and the good captains, you know, do is gray whales. They, 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 they run for the shallows, you know, when they feel mm -hmm. like out. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a lot of the good captains always keep the whales, you Girl, know, the, yeah. On the offshore you know, side. Yeah. Stay offshore offshore side. Of them. Yeah. Oh. And it does make yeah. a difference. I've seen it, you know, yeah. many times. Oh, yeah. I was watching a gray whale, I guess, two weeks ago now with Kristen and I. And there was another private boat. And there's like this little small river boat. This guy and girl were on it. And they literally, like, just kind of took off, went up ahead, purposely tried to go up in front of them and stop. And I swear, these whales were, like, fine until they got there. Yep. And then next thing you know, the whales go way inshore to the beach. Yep. And they were on a yep. perfect ship. And then they yep. did it again, and so we're, like, about to say something, but then they ended up pulling off and leaving, thankfully. Mm -hmm. And what, sure enough, after that boat leaves, they kind of got right back on their course and, like, kept going up. Yep. Then, then a sailboat shows up, and he, uh, we're, we we waved him down. We're like, hey, slow down. There's, you know, he's like, you're watching the gray well, I know. We're like, yeah, okay, but slow down, you know. <laughs> I swear to God, this sailboat is behind us. Like, we're kind of the lead boat. He just, next thing you know, it just cuts us off and goes right between us and the whale. And we're like, it was the most mind blowing thing I've ever seen. Like it was like mm. the guy just like yeah. tapped right across us. No, Ruthless. no care in the world. And it was like, what? And so we, we ended up like that guy ended up kind of cruising and I don't know, but it was just like, it, it, you That's could totally watch 
watch the behavior. We had a drone up too, and you could totally watch the whales just all three angle into the beach. And it was like, yep. Oh, yep. what are the what are the odds? You know? Yeah. So um, the other thing in the paper that was noted, which kind of further emphasizes the need for like slow approaches as you get close to 100 yards is that the whales started showing altered surface behavior well outside of that 100 yards approach because they can Mm. hear you right for sure so that's why you need to slow down when you're outside of even 400 yards so that you're you know fighting your engine noise and stuff yeah and then there also was some note about there was absolutely um, a lack of behavioral response during very close encounters with boats um, less than 100 yards and they suspect that that's because in Hawaii you need to keep your engines in neutral until the whale swims 100 yards away from you um, so the engine's quieter and then also the whales are potentially interacting with the boat there may be a friendly encounter going on and so they're not going to have a disturbed behavioral response during those um, those close encounters because the whale is initiating some of that behavior with the vessel. And then the vessel, if they're following the rules, has their engine in neutral or has their engine off if it's possible to turn it off. And so the noise yeah. disturbance is much less. And I, I guess that's like, for me, like that's the biggest counter argument to people that always say, you know, whale watch boats are like harming whales. Like um, there's a recent comment thread on one of Delaney's posts from somebody in the Pacific Northwest that was like, here in Washington, we stay 200 yards away from whales. Like that's the rule and regulation and that's what you have to do. And like her video is like of a whale mugging the boat. And yeah. it's like, okay, if this whale was in any way, shape or form, you know, in disturbance of this boat and her boat had no engines on, you know, like the whale wouldn't be there mugging the boat. They would have, they would leave, yeah. you know? And so I think well, muggings are like the one counter argument to just whale watching boats in general. Like, you know, if, if we were really putting so much stress in these animals that they didn't want to be around us they would swim away that humpback in particular was the same one i had a friendly encounter exactly. with the yeah. day before and another boat had one the day yeah. before that, that whale visit well, all the orange yeah. county boats <laughs> that whale yeah. that humpback whale i swear to god was probably a quarter mile away from us at our 11 o'clock and we were just and, getting into the area in the morning we were idling going straight forward and I'm just talking to her, talking about how, and she literally is like, oh, this whale, I told you guys this. This is a friendly whale. You know, my friend had a friendly encounter with last night. And I'm like, the whale's under our boat. Literally, okay. we were just idling, going forward. This whale was way ahead of us, stopped, came back, and went underneath our boat and was literally like bow riding us. And we, you know, we obviously went in neutral and stopped. And it was like, you, I mean, God, that's just crazy. You never know. Yeah. But so I then- mean, that's the thing. Like, you know, people are always like, it's, it's a huge topic of debate right now is whale watching yeah. boats putting an impact on whales and it's like mm-hmm. again we talk about it ourselves you know we know that we're aware that there is some impact we're aware that vessel engines and boats make noise but it's like if it was really that harmful these whales wouldn't be approaching us they wouldn't be curious of us if they wanted to go away they could take a 30 minute dive and we would never see them again you know yeah. like if that was yeah. really the case and also think right. about this whale watching here, especially here in California. I mean, it started like what early seventies when we mm-hmm. know the lifespan of a whale. So if we've been whale watching boats have been that bad to them, why are these whales still continuing? You know, their same migration patterns. The other thing, yeah, as, uh, yeah, it would change. It's, you know, yeah. This this whole article is based on Hawaii, right? Yeah. So, so that's the caveat I was going to put is that. With this paper, you have to be mindful that this is 
about humpbacks in a breeding ground. And that's one of the things that they write in their conclusions as they're making recommendations and things is that these whales are not eating. So you do have to be careful about their energy budget. This is also where they're trying to breed and they are giving birth. And so like some important life history events while fasting are happening. So you do have to be pretty cautious about, you know, how you manage any disturbance to them in this area because they're so far away from their food source. Yeah. And on top of that, I feel like, let's say we did the same exact study in Monterey during the feeding season, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like when their mindset is just food, Mm -hmm. you know, around the clock, I don't think they they care what's around. They don't even care. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not saying we don't change their behavior because I personally watched in Southern California, a bunch of whale watch boats show up to a humpback whale that had been chilling there for hours. They all showed up and then, you know, next thing you know, he split. So I don't know if that was a cause, but I mean, I feel like when they are feeding, they could be very one track minded and not care about what's going on. Yeah. Well, and I think the, the effects of the stress of disturbance are going to be different for an animal that's around a food source versus an animal that's fasting. Um, and then also like just keeping in mind, this is the question that I brought up during when we discussed the killer whale paper too, is like when there are calves present does that change the dynamic and the response as well? You know, like if they're babysitting or for humpbacks, if a mom is in charge of a calf around boats and stuff, like how does that change her stress level and how much energy she's willing to spend? Um, And also if you're just wondering what those be whale aware guidelines are, they're on Pacific whale foundation's website, but basically they say, slow down. There's whales around Um, your speed increases the risk of a collision. They recommend not traveling faster than, um, 12 and a half knots at any time during whale season. Um, but also when you're within 300 meters of a whale to slow down to six knots or slower. Um, and then obviously don't approach whales closer than hundred meters. That's the federal regulation. Um, stay at the helm with a posted observer while you're underway. Um, and then approach areas of whale activity with caution because there can be animals coming in and out of a social group. Um, which is also true of feeding. You, Slater, and Eric have seen that and how poorly it can go. Um, And then obviously don't approach a whale head on or get in the path of their direction of travel. And then don't leapfrog in front of their direction of travel either. Like you see them go down, so you go up where you think they're going to be. Don't do that. Um, They also recommend to not spend more than 30 minutes with moms and calves. And um, if there's more than three vessels of any size or type, then uh let's see should be with no more than three vessels of any size or types should be within 300 meters meters of a whale at any time so try to not have more than three boats at a time on a group of whales and you shouldn't Obviously, stay like like half of your all-day trip with like one set of whales too right? yes you exactly yeah right. um, sure. also do not <gasps> attempt to sure. touch or feed a whale is in there um oh, then, really whales, dang it and then sudden or excessive Whoa, noise when within down. 300 meters of a whale um, including people on board, like banging the side of the boat or like you throw your engines in reverse. Cause you got really close to them on accident. All that kind of stuff can be like really loud and can disturb the whales. So, yeah. Can you I'm splash wondering... the whales with a cup? <laughs> Not in Hawaii. <laughs> I'm wondering, I'm wondering like, obviously I, you know, I think that the breeding grounds are probably a very loud, like if you took, if you took all the boats off the water, <laughs> I'm sure the breeding ground is pretty loud just because they're talking a lot to each other and they're singing and all that stuff. But I wonder if it's louder when they're feeding because there's 
you know, ginormous schools of anchovies involved and sea lions and birds eating. I just, I wonder. I know, think about that. I wonder how big the difference there is in terms of sound between the breeding and feeding grounds. I think that would be really cool to just Caitlin froze and she looked like she had something so perfect to say. I was plugging well, in my phone. Well, sea lions are very loud. We hear them on the hydrophone in Monterey. Yeah, exactly. Really that's, what yeah. that's what I'm saying. Like, I wonder if, if you know, Hawaii versus Monterey Bay, I just like, if you were able to take the boats off the water and just have that noise, because I'm, I'm sure, you know, like if they're feeding and there's all that noise and commotion going around, they probably, like, obviously I think they, they hear the boats and stuff, but they probably don't let it get to them as much as in a breeding ground when they're focused on calving and, and competition groups and all that just, kind of stuff. Go, you reach know, out one, to Moss Landing Marine Labs and yeah. get audio recordings from the peak of humpback season in Monterey and then the peak of, you know, humpback season in Maui and listen to them. You know, one yeah. thing I've noticed that's never rarely brought up, and in fact, I don't think it's been brought up. Um, I was actually listening to a, a naval guy talk about the use of sonar and noise in different depths of water. Yes, it changes. Yeah, yeah exactly. So I'm just wondering where we usually view the whales, you know, obviously on the surface, you know, is that the better place where the sound is transmitting or the worse, you know? Yeah, that's, that's a good true. question, too. Yeah. I think that the deeper you go, the better it attenuates. Exactly. The better it travels. Yeah. Um, but so the surface feeding... layer of water is also quite noisy from wind and waves and shorelines and that kind of stuff, too. And so, so if that, they're feeding at 300 feet, then they're obviously not hearing that boat noise as much as they would be when they're on the surface, right? I think it's the opposite. I think, oh, yeah. Or they hear it the more when they're louder. The low I mean, lower. frequency sound lower. penetrates better yeah. at lower depths. Lower, yeah. Yeah. Science. It's all temperature, Even though they're closer temperature, to boats? Temperature. Yeah, science, salinity, Adam. Temperature, salinity, all that makes a difference in the, the amount that sound can travel, you know? Which is the perfect segue to our last topic. We are just on it today. <laughs> Perfect segues. That's so cool. a couple weeks ago, we talked about this um, literature review that came out called The Soundscape of the Anthropocene Ocean. And I emailed one of the lead authors, Carlos Duarte, and asked for a copy of the actual full paper because it was not open access. And he kindly hey. sent it to me. Cool. Um, so this is basically a whole... A literature review of a lot of work that's been done at a whole bunch of different levels of, of ocean science um, about the effects of human produced sound in the ocean. Um, so the most important point they made is that sound is currently looked at as a point source pollutant. So they are considering it a pollutant, but as soon as the, point. yeah, so a point source that's means point, that point source, yeah. when the, um, when the, pollutant source leaves the dis like the effects of the pollutant leave as well so when the boat drives away you're not having any more sound pollution you know like it comes in it doesn't linger like a chemical pollutant would after an oil spill or something like that i thought it was also you could like point at it and be like that's the source well that too but like, it leaves versus it like leaves you know this... chemicals like chemicals could be anywhere but like yeah. noise is okay that factory yeah. right you can identify you can identify this yeah the source of it right. very quickly and then also it it has the ability to leave very quickly yeah. um so obviously our sound our soundscapes are changing due to human activity but there's a couple other things i didn't really consider 
um, until I read this paper. So one of the reasons the soundscape is changing is that we're losing animals that produce noise in the ocean, right? Like we hunted whales, we mm. are take, we're extracting fish populations, coral reefs are dying. All these things make noise and we're removing them from the ocean. Um, also, the natural physical sounds of the ocean are changing due to climate change. We're losing ice coverage. We're having more violent storms in certain places. Like all of that changes the natural soundscape of the ocean. Mm -hmm. um, especially at the poles where you have the factor of ice coverage or glacial melt. And then the seawater is warming and it has a different salinity than it used to. Um, that changes the propagation properties of the seawater. And so at the poles, especially, you're having a lot of geophysical changes in regards to sound in the ocean, mm. which is kind of crazy. Um, also, sound carries a lot more information over a larger um, distance than most other sensory cues that animals receive in the ocean. So things like light or chemicals, those don't have as big of a range as sound. And so sound is really important as a way to relay information to one another because it can travel so far. Um, and they think over the past 50 years, low frequently, low, low frequency noise has increased 32% due to global shipping. So like, we're just adding all this low frequency sound to the ocean because of how we move goods across the world. Um, and then this one kind of blew my mind. Everything like sound affects everything from larval sediment, settle settlement. Wow. I'm tripping over my words, um, to whales and more. So things like jellyfish urchins shellfish fish they all make noise which also then leads people to believe that they use noise for something um and then like larval and juvenile phases of fish and invertebrates and things they use sound to locate an appropriate settlement habitat so yeah it's like yeah. when they're floating around in the ocean and they're getting ready to change into that phase where they're gonna like glue themselves to a rock yep like they use sound to figure that out, like where is the rock that I need to glue myself to. Um, and it kind of reminded me of, did you guys ever see that experiment where they played uh, noises of a healthy reef over an area of dead reef and mm -hmm. a bunch of Yes, fish I, was, I was just about to say that. I was yeah. Just about to bring that up. And so like the, those animals need those cues of a healthy reef with sound to know where to go sometimes. So as a reef dies, it gets quiet. And then that's why all the, the fish leave. So that was pretty incredible. Was just, that's so funny. I was just about to bring that up. Um, there's also, it's kind of in relation to this. I think it was one of the Our Planet episodes um, about coastal seas. Um, and they did this really cool experiment with um, clownfish. And um, they play different um, sounds from predators of clownfish and see how they react this whole little family of clownfish um and that was really cool just to see how I mean, it's incredible how sound plays a role in the ocean versus on land like yeah you know we hear things and you know we that's how we communicate we talk to each other but the ocean is just a whole different level and you know yeah. the soundscape you know what we're all talking about here is is it's it's a huge thing and like i really like this um this little graph here or this little uh graphic um that shows like the anthropocene now a poorly managed future and a well-managed future mm -hmm. um and i just kind of for those that can't see it i'm sure we'll post it in the um 
if we can, we'll post it in the Facebook comments. Um, but just about managing our future correctly in terms of, you know, there's underwater mining, there's just a ton of boats that, you know, put out, like we said, 32% more low frequency noise in the ocean. And it's just about balancing that and implementing new, you know, technologies that can get what we need done at a, at a, at a quieter pace. Yeah, for sure. Um, the other thing that I kept thinking of when I was reading this is I watched a film a while ago called The Sonic Sea. Actually, it was a recommendation from one of our Patreon um, followers. So oh, cool. thank you for that. Um, and there's this quote in there from a whaling captain that says the ears are the window to the soul of a whale. So like, even though they didn't have any scientific data to show how important sound was to whales, like this guy understood that the whales rely on sound. Um, yeah. And then uh, it, a lot of what Sonic Sea top, talked about was, you know, naval sonar and exercises, but also global shipping and how we've really drastically altered the soundscape of the ocean in the last 50 years or so. But it also points out either that or I also wrote this down while I was thinking about it. That's within the lifetime of a lot of ocean animals like coral. They live a long time. Whales, different species of fish and sharks. Like some of these animals live hundreds of years. And so like in their lifetime, this is They've changed. seen the change. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and then another little kind of case study they covered in Sonic Sea, which I think is pretty appropriate and interesting, is they looked at the recovery of the North Atlantic right whales versus the southern right whales and how southern right whales have been this huge conservation success story. Their recovery has gone really, really well. They were hunted just as heavily as North Atlantic right whales. And the North Atlantic right whales just like can't seem to catch a break. Well, if you look at the global shipping maps in each of those whales' habitats, the North Atlantic <laughs> drastically right different. Yeah, way more shipping to deal with, noise-wise, but also vessel collision-wise, um, in the North Atlantic than the Southern uh, right whales do. And there's actually a, it was like perfect timing. It was an awful event, but like for research, it was an interesting time because they were collecting data about cortisol levels in North Atlantic right whales, so stress hormones, and then 9-11 happened, and all global traffic ceased. Stopped. And ah. they were still out there collecting data, and they watched the cortisol levels of the right whales drop as the shipping traffic stopped. Oh, wow. That is so interesting. Yeah. So, like, that was, like, one opportunity where also, like, the anthropod stuff we talked about last episode, mm -hmm. like, that's one opportunity that, like, if you just happen to get the before data and then also had the opportunity to collect the after data, you really could see what amount of stress we caused these animals. I love this podcast, man. I've learned so much. <laughs> this is awesome. Uh, that's so interesting. Yeah. So, in conclusion, uh, humans uh, are the worst. We if suck, you can find a dude. North Pacific right whale. If you can find one, Slater, I'll give you a dollar. A dollar? That's all they're worth to you, you piece of turkey? <laughs> <laughs> How come Bob dude, Pittman got to take a photo of one? Who? Robert Pittman. Oh, because he's a freaking research rock star. So he just gets to take photos of North Pacific right whales when he wants to? Dude. Yeah, because he has a contract Her to find them. There's oh, 30 of so them, dude. Cool. Less than 50. That's the one. 
That's the that's the one animal I would be so stoked to see. And it's not impossible because there was one a few years ago off of Anacapa Island. So it's not impossible. And, yeah. I, and I heard – I don't know if this is a crazy fisherman's tale, but it was a couple of years ago. Um, one of my captain's friends um, said that every day for 30 days, there's an, a North Pacific right whale off of Samago Island just chilling. But well, I don't know. You know the story about the La Jolla one, right? Yeah. Yeah, the gray whale that was actually... Yeah, the gray whale. Yeah. That was actually a right whale. People are watching the news going, you know, they're like, uh... I see <laughs> that, that doesn't look right. Like, that yeah, that's a right has, whale. <laughs> there has been sightings, so, like, I'm not totally ruling out that possibility. Yeah, you uh, never know. We're all out there enough, so you never what know. What if we did see them? Like, what if... What I if... would die. Yeah, but what if it was like normal, like humpbacks? Like those were the normal ones to see again. Well, I, I, that's what we were talking about earlier. Like I, at some point, that was normal, you know. Oh, yeah, I know, but like now, I want it to be normal again. Google this picture, like. Could you imagine? Oh my god, I would actually. Why is that photo so much cooler than a gray whale photo? Because <laughs> you see, you see gray whales all the time, so that's why you exactly. think it's cool. I know you. It seems this looks like an alien. Aliens. Google it, They're guys. Kind of Pacific right whale. Well, go to images and click it, <laughs> and then cry. Wow, dude! All right, you guys. This podcast was one hour thirty six minutes and fifty seven seconds. That wasn't quite that long, but yeah, it's a long one. Thanks for hanging it's in there. Good. It's a good one too. I like this one. Sorry, I cussed a lot. I'm yeah, there's gonna be so many beeps in it. I'm gonna beep. go download a sound effects now for beeping. Yeah, seriously, Adam, that's your, your go, new job. Yeah, I'll go through and edit it. Don't worry. Yeah, you edit this one, Adam. <laughs> I will. <laughs> and re-listen to it and learn some things. A <laughs> warning, like PG-13 or something. Yes, ever since we Sorry. invited Adam, all sorts of customers. Sorry, Bennett. NC-17 now, thanks to Adam. Yeah, you're welcome. R-rated podcast because we had more than one cuss word. Oh uh, yeah, and what episode. happens when? That's what happens when the ocean gets you heated, man, and people get you like riled up. That was the first time I ever cussed on a boat out loud. Not cussed on a boat, but cussed on a boat out loud with like on a whale watch trip was when I saw that <laughs> when I saw that boat hit the whale. Oh, yeah. I called oh. the guy a bunch of bad words. He <laughs> was an effing something. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> A day, yeah. You were on the boat too, right? Yeah, that was bad. Yeah, I was so mad. And and Mar, I remember when my wife was looking at me and she was like, Slater, there's people on the boat. I was like, I don't even care at this point. Like, (laughs) you're an effing idiot. The passengers barely barely know this, which is weird. Oh, they were just like, huh, what happened? And then I put my drone up. All of us who were paying attention, like me and Slater, were like, oh, I told that girl on the wheelhouse, I was like, he's got to hit a whale. And like, sure enough. Boom! Like, That's what we're all doing. We're like, slow down. And the next thing you know, he actually hits the whale. We're like, uh, a calf out of all whales. You know, it's like, come on. Yeah. All right. Uh, all okay. right. Thanks, friends, for listening. Thank you for following us on social media. We're over 4,000 followers on Instagram now. Woo-hoo! Also, thank you to your support. Um, for those of you that are on our Patreon, we really appreciate it. Thanks, um, guys. Yeah, we hope you're enjoying the content on there as well. Um, yeah, thanks. See you Bye in the next everyone. episode. <laughs> See you later. Bye. Bye. Bye.